All right, Exodus chapter number 20, as we continue this series of the Ten Commandments, we're approaching the last commandment on this table, um, treating how we are to behave, uh, specifically in our act in relation to God. As you've noticed, the first three have dealt specifically with how we're to honor God, how we're to worship Him, how we are to serve Him. And so it won't be a surprise to you that this one as well, the fourth commandment, is of the same nature. Hasn't your heart just been humbled by this high view of God here in the law? First, we have our attention drawn, and it says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And so our hearts have been fixed upon this living God, this Jehovah God, the self-existent one. He is the one that has brought the people up out of Egyptian bondage. He's the one that has given a grand introduction of Himself, of who He is, and now He's speaking directly to us as our hearts have been humbled by what He's done for us. And He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. In this we see the exclusivity of God. And then we see that we're not to have graven images. We're told how to worship Him. And that is in spirit and in truth. Uh, To form a God in His presence is strictly prohibited. He is the only God. He's the living God and we are to have no other gods. Uh, Secondly, we saw that we're not to have vain, graven images. And then thirdly, we saw that there was uh, reverence to be given to His holy name and His name alone. And as you follow along, do you see how they're all connected? They're all connected. At first, we have the sanctity of God Himself, who He is, that He's, He's different and we're to keep Him in high regard and not to have other gods before Him. And then secondly, His worship is sanctified. It's different. It's supposed to be in spirit and in truth, not the way that the false gods are worshipped by physical objects. And then thirdly, we see that His name is sanctified and set apart to be reverenced. As it's been presented, I hope we would all affirm that these are moral laws. These are uh, binding and perpetual in nature that we are bound to keep these uh, this is the law of God, the moral law of God. It does not change. It's, it's not the, the ten suggestions to a better you. or the uh, You might need to do this, but this is the law of God and He's given this. And we would agree at least this far that these three have not passed and will not pass. And that uh, hopefully we would all shudder and be like, wow, that's crazy if someone came in with a golden calf or if someone started coming in and praising Allah or Buddha. Or if someone were to come in and blaspheme the name of God. So if these are perpetual, I submit to you that I know that the next one is. This fourth commandment. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now I will admit that right out of the gate, this is one of the most debated of the whole Ten Commandments. Even in a crowd this small, there's sure to be uh, two or three or maybe even four or five differing opinions on this text. So I want to go through this very humbly, very graciously, knowing that we have one authority and it is the Word of God. So something is right, and then that means everything else is wrong. But let's see what the Scriptures say. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Let us humbly consider what is being taught here. By way of a very, very brief intro, I want to highlight there are a few differing views on the Sabbath day. I want to find which one is most biblical or which one is biblical. You have really three. There's Sabbatarians, there's anti-Sabbatarians, and then there's a group of people that are just indifferent. They just don't know where they stand. In the Sabbatarians, we have a few different varying degrees. We have the seventh-day observers. We have the first-day observers. We have those that observe the Sabbath day very strictly. We have some that say they observe the Sabbath day and it's to varying levels. Then we have those like the Pharisees who added extra biblical legalistic terms and things that they added to what God had commanded on His day. Well, then we have the anti-Sabbatarians who have multiple flavors as well. There's minimal opposition to where, well, that was done away with. Well, we just don't have that anymore to those that are very dogmatic and active in their opposition to the Sabbath. And then those that are indifferent. So many views, we can't all be right. We must then appeal to the objective truth and authority, which is the Word of God. May the Holy Spirit give us understanding as we consider the Holy Scriptures. There's four main points or four main things that I want to consider this Lord's Day. And I'll give them to you briefly and then we'll consider each. First, we'll look at the creation of the Sabbath. The creation of the Sabbath. Going from there, we're going to consider the command of the Sabbath. Going further even more, we're going to look at the covenant administrations of the Sabbath. And then finally, we'll look at the culmination of the Sabbath and what all this means. Where is it pointing to? What's the direction that we're heading to with the Sabbath? So let us begin. Turn with me to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 26. The creation of the Sabbath. You may now be wondering why I'm going to Genesis when we're in Exodus, but hopefully this will make sense soon enough. This account that we're about to read is really the inauguration, if you will, of the Sabbath. This is here where God has created the Sabbath. Listen in verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth 
and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. To every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He had rested from all His work which God created and made. Here, God gives the Sabbath to Adam. This is the very first inaugural Sabbath keeping. The fourth commandment then wasn't something new in the days of Moses. This was not something that came to be in Moses' day, but this is a creation ordinance. This is something that finds its root in creation. Um, In six days, this sovereign, almighty God created the world and everything that in it is. And on the seventh day, He rests. Not only did He rest, but He blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And sanctify it just means that He set it apart. In so doing, God set forth the principle of setting apart one day in seven for the rest and devotion to God. This is a creation ordinance. We see in it that God rested, blessed, and sanctified. So let's look at what this is. Firstly, we see, and on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made, and He rested. He rested. Well, how? God didn't need rest, for He's the Almighty God. He never tires. God sustains all creation by His own power. He sovereignly rules everything by His own hand. He's working all things together by His providence. And He is, as Calvin said, constantly at work. If God should but withdraw His hand a little, all things would immediately perish and dissolve into nothing. Okay, so it can't be as some would say that the Sabbath day is a day for just useless inactivity. Meaningless inactivity and rest. In other words, the Sabbath day was not set apart so that we could just be lazy. God is not okay with laziness. There's something to this day but it's not just inactivity. The institution of the Sabbath after six days of creation was not just mindless rest. For He rested from creating all things that He had just proclaimed to be very good. Not the providential care and ruling over them. On this day, the seventh specifically, we see God setting this apart as different from all the others. On the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made and He rested on the seventh day and going into verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. He set it apart. There's something different about this day than the other six. 
Do you see now in creation, there's this principle set forth of one day in seven that God has picked for Himself. Surely all seven days belong to God. I'm not, I'm not trying to disagree with that. But this one day, the Sabbath day, is the day that God has picked for Himself. And He said, this is the day that you're going to rest unto Me. And in this, He tells Adam, this is My day. This is the day that you are doing to devote yourself to Me. You see in chapter number 1 that God had told Adam to work and he was to work and, and there were things that Adam was to do. So really when we look at the Sabbath altogether, it's not a command of one day, but a command of seven. Six days you should work. Six days we're commanded to be active in our secular duties and in our things of necessity and things that we need to get done. And then on the seventh, we're to set those things aside for the worship of God. This day being sanctified and set apart should not be just as the other days. It shouldn't feel the same. God created Sabbath, the Sabbath, after He created the man, or the man. He created Adam, then He created the Sabbath. So God created the Sabbath for man. He didn't need to rest, He created it for man that He'd have a time to be wholly devoted to God. As stated earlier, God has no need of resting. We, on the other hand, have need of resting. The Sabbath was created for Adam, who was commanded to work. Now, of course, we should always be devoted to thoughts towards God. Of course, we should have our minds set on the things above. And surely we should be in a constant state of prayer and, and worship, but... The cares of life sometimes distract, and it's good for us. This is a blessing for us to have one day where we don't have to be bound up to do those secular duties. I don't have to go to work today. I don't have to labor today. I get to come and worship the Lord. That was what Adam was given. God in love is to be worshipped. I'm sure Adam was of need in need of someday set apart. As we mentioned early on in this series, God has every single right to tell His creature what to do. If you'll remember with yeah. me at the first one, God is the one who lives, who liberates, and who legislates. Right. And God has every right to tell us what to do with our time. Amen. And in this so doing, He's told us how to structure our lives. And God has every right to do so. Even here we're seeing the, uh, He obligates us to one day wholly devoted to Him. When really He could say we have all seven devoted unto Him, but He's given us one day of resting from the things we need to do in secular work and then devote one fully to Him. We could say more, and I don't want to stay here very long because we've got a whole lot to cover. Uh, this could be like an eight-part series or on this one law, but to be gracious, I will move on. This ought to be sufficient to prove that the Sabbath is finding its roots in creation. It is a creation ordinance. It is a creation law. It is something that was made in creation. It finds its roots there. And so it suffice to say God made the Sabbath for Adam. So we see the creation of the Sabbath. Turn back with me to Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 8. Let's look at the command of the Sabbath. We're going to consider the verses 8 through 11. Having looked carefully now at the creation, let's look at the command. Uh, to give a real quick bird's eye view of where we're headed uh, before we dive in, there's a few things that you're going to want to see. 
we're told to remember the Sabbath. We're told to keep it holy. We're told to abstain from a number of secular works and labors and recreations. Let's look at these things. Verse number 8, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is a day to remember. Uh, This requires attention. This requires action. In other words, there's not going to be an accidental observance to the Sabbath. Uh, You're not going to find yourself accidentally setting apart a day in which you worship God. It's not going to be by happenstance or accident. We're commanded, remember the Sabbath day. You'll never keep something in which there's no thought given to it. Uh, The people of Israel, they're going uh, to enemy territory. They're going to be around other people who worship false gods and do a number of different things that they ought not do. And they're going to be surrounded by this. And the saying is, out of sight, out of mind. And so if God's people go into this land and don't remember the Sabbath, it's out of sight, out of mind, then they're not going to observe one day in seven for the worship of God. In this commandment, we have a duty for the people to remember. There is a duty to remember. Or in other words, there is a duty to prepare yourself for this day. Preparation for the Sabbath does not begin Sabbath sunrise. You must remember, if a a man was to need to cut his grass, or a lady was to go get some groceries, she didn't wait until the Sabbath, and he didn't wait until the Sabbath, said, well, I've got to go cut my grass. And then, no, he prepared through the week. There were six days to do those things. There were six days in preparing their hearts and minds for the Sabbath. Someone asked them to go do something that would violate the Sabbath, they would remember and say, I can't do that that day. It is the Sabbath. Because there's a duty to remember it. There's a duty to say, I have been given one day in seven where I am to worship God. I can't do that. In other words, you're violating this command when you don't remember. When the, when the Sabbath is out of your mind, you've broken the Sabbath. You forgot about it. And things that are forgotten about tend to go undone. Things that are not thought about tend to go by the wayside. And the Sabbath was set apart as the Lord's day. It was a day for worship. It wasn't a day to go trade at the market. It wasn't a day to catch up on the, the grass or the things around the house or to uh, prepare the, the things of duty for the week. You weren't to say, well, I just didn't get done in the six. I need a little more time. I need a little bit more time. No, it wasn't a day for that. You have six days. Remember the Sabbath. On top of preparing his or her needs for the Sabbath, to remember it, I also submit to you that um, the night before the Sabbath wasn't the night where the guys would say, okay, let's have a guy's night and stay out till three in the morning. Amen. Why? Because they're preparing mentally because they know the next day they need to be alert. It wasn't a time for the ladies' book read at 12 o'clock at night. No, there's a lot that goes into preparing. And so if the, the Israelite had said, well, I stayed up way too late and he's got toothpicks in his eyelids, but he's there. Where do you think his heart is? Right. <laughs> Where do you think his mind is? 
seed and prepare it. So he, there's a duty here to remember the Sabbath day. It's not the other six. It's something different about this. It takes some preparation. Remembering the Sabbath, you are physically, mentally, and spiritually preparing yourself for that state in which you meet together with God's people and you worship the living God. And then you worship Him at home and you worship Him for an entire day. A good night of rest. A winding down from the overload of the things that you've been experiencing through the week. A setting of one's thoughts from the things down here into the things that are godly. These are all good things. Prayer, reading the law, reading the Word. All these were good things to get prepared for the Sabbath. Of course, there's others, but the first command, remember the Sabbath day. Remember it. Prepare for it. may not have been the Sabbath all week, but the heart was preparing in anticipation. Why? The very next phrase. To keep it holy. To keep it holy. For a long time, I've heard people uh, talking about holiness and being holy. And I heard R.C. Sproul had had given a, a... lecture on the holiness of God and it was one of the most glorious things I'd ever seen the the holiness of God it's fitting that his day ought to be other than there's a there's a holiness or other than-ness to the Sabbath day it shouldn't be like the six if it's like the six then it's not different it's not set apart something that is holy is something that's other than the rest it's set apart from the ordinary one day and seven is a holy day, a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six days are given as a command to work, but one you are to keep holy unto God. How do you keep it holy if you don't remember it? If it is to be different, don't you imagine that the Israelites here then, when they got to the Sabbath, it felt different than the other days? A test to see if you are observing the Sabbath one would be a good one. Is it different? Is it set apart? Is it soaked with the worship of God and a, a putting away of those things that uh, captivate our mind through the week and those things that draw our attention away? But this day is a different day. This day is the day that I'm going to be captivated by the Scriptures. I'm going to be devoted to the worship of the living God. This day is going to be different. Should we worship every day? Of course. But there are things that we have to do through the week to feed our families, to uh, provide a living, to do things. But this day especially is set apart for God. Practically speaking, it ought to be obvious that observing the Sabbath wasn't a common or ordinary day. It's the Lord's Day, a special day. It's special. The law commands us to keep it holy. Well, where does it go from here? What are the things that they were uh, to be? What were the things that were to be rested from in order to keep this holy? There was a certain resting from secular labor. Six days, verse number nine, shalt thou not, or shalt thou labor, and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, 
thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates. The six days given to this secular work and recreation were to do all of our labor, all of our work in these. But this is a holy day, and so we're not to work. Nor our son or daughter, manservant, maidservant, cattle, stranger in the gates. In other words, they weren't to have someone else working for them either. They weren't to work. They weren't to have other people working. This was a day to set apart from these labors for a Sabbath to Jehovah God. And as is often the case with the Scriptures, the command is very clear. The acceptance of the command is sometimes very difficult. The man, the woman, the children, the strangers, among them were to rest from their labors We'll see in Nehemiah, if you read there, Nehemiah, that there was a terrible time of breaking the Sabbath. They were doing their work. They were preparing for their work. Even the day of the Sabbath, they were preparing their work for the rest of the week and they broke the Sabbath. And with that thing, God was very angry. We see Israel was to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Rest. Why? Four, four and six days, the Lord made heaven. Look, that's why we started in Genesis. Where does He appeal? Back to creation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. I've been reading these as if it was the command to the Israelite to get us through this, but as we see when He goes back to creation, this is not the command to the Israelite and now it's done away with. This is the command to Adam. Amen. And we're in Adam. We're not all Jews. We're not all Israelites. We're not all Gentiles. But we're all in Adam. And this goes back to Adam. And so all those things that I just mentioned, now, guess what? It pertains to us. As do the other nine commandments. So our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, our attention ought to be drawn to the Lord on the Sabbath day. We're obligated by duty to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The fact that it's a creation ordinance states states that. So how does this pertain to us then? Well, in remembering the Sabbath, the night before the Sabbath is not the time to pick up Netflix and watch your next marathon. The night before the Sabbath is not the time to go hang out with the guys until 2 o'clock in the morning. And then when uh, you come to worship the Lord, now you're exhausted. No, it's not the time to stay up all night listening to music or playing on the computer or scrolling Facebook. In remembering the Sabbath, you, you don't just show up. You have a duty to prepare your mind and your heart because there's a day in which God is set apart for His worship. You have six days to do those things, but this day is the Lord's day. In keeping it holy, you ought to highly esteem this day. 
This day is better. It, it, it has a, a, a high esteem in it because it's the Lord's day. It is the Sabbath. It ought to be different for you than the other days. If the Sabbath is just like the other days, then there's something wrong with your observance here. In resting from your labors, you ought not to work on the Sabbath or use the Sabbath for the, recreation, or the secular recreations. It's a special day to the Lord thy God. Your Adam's race, this is a Sabbath for you. And is clearly taught. One day in seven. Fun fact. Why why do we go by a seven day calendar? Seven day week? Is this a good idea? No. Creation. Creation. We have a seven day week. There have been those that tried to get rid of the Sabbath and they make ten day weeks. They don't last. It's very clear by even creation that we're to have six days of work and one day of rest and worship of God. All fine and good. That's good. What about the Old and New Covenant though? I haven't said anything about which day this is. Of course we know here it's talking about the seventh day. There's no argument that this was the seventh day. What about the Old Covenant and New Covenant? What what stipulations would that have? What does that mean for us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the covenant administrations of the Sabbath. We've looked at the creation of the Sabbath. We've looked at the command of the Sabbath. Let's consider now the covenant administrations of the Sabbath. So we've mentioned that it's a creation ordinance. And so you'll see that in creation it was the seventh day. You'll see that in the time that Moses was given this law by God, that it was the seventh day. It was observed in the Old Covenant in this way. And do we now hold to the seventh day? Is that what we're supposed to do? Let's look. I want to read something out of our confession which I think I find very helpful. Chapter 22 and paragraph 7 says this, As it is of the law of nature that in general a proportion of time by God's appointment be set apart for the worship of God, so by His Word, in a positive moral and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, He has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto Him. Which, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, was the last day of the week. No argument there. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which is called in the New Testament the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath, the observation of the last day of the week being abolished. Let's break that down. Confession claims it states that the law contains the character of being both positive moral, natural and positive. Natural in that God is to be worshipped. Natural in that there should be a specific time set apart for this worshipping. Natural in the fact that we're to come together corporately to do this and it will take a specific time which God sets. And positive in the fact that the Bible states one day in seven from the creation of Christ's crucifixion and then from the resurrection to the last day, the first day, first day of the week. 
the big objection then here is that moral laws don't change. To which I agree. I agree that moral laws do not change. I agree that God is the same forever and that His law stands and that this is a glorious reflection of His character and what He expects of His image bearers. But the positive aspects means it can change. It can change form without losing it, the law itself or the essence of it. Changing days, but not doing away with. The easiest view then to point out and debunk would be the view that says that the Sabbath is just to be done away with altogether. How did the Ten Commandments become the nine? The Bible doesn't say that. But it says if you break one, you're guilty of them all in the New Testament. You'll see they stand and fall together. So Moses, when he came down from the mountain and he got down there and he saw that they built a golden calf and they're worshiping, in a, a, he takes the law and he breaks the tablets. And that signifies to us that in breaking the one or the two, they'd broken them all. God cares about a Sabbath just as much as He cares about any other thing that He commands us to do. Now let's address the heading straight on. Let's look at... I'll turn to a few places just to give you some biblical proofs. You can look at the rest of them later if you like. Deuteronomy chapter number 5. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter number 5 is the other giving of the law. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thy ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates, that the that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. And so here we see He's even tying in redemption. He's tying in redemption. Genesis 2 talks about the creation of this ordinance. Jeremiah 17 and 22 states this. I'll get bookmarks one of these days and not have to turn. Jeremiah 17, 22. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do ye any work, but hallow ye the Sabbath day, as I commanded your fathers. But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. It shall come to pass, if you diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day, to do no work therein, then shall there enter into the gates of this city kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever, and they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places about Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the plain and from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, meat offerings and incense, 
bringing sacrifices of praise into the house of the Lord. But if you will not hearken unto me how to how the Sabbath day, and not bear a burden, even entering in the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then will I kindle fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the places of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. There's blessing for keeping the Sabbath. There was consequences for disobeying. You can read Nehemiah 13, 15 through 22. I won't turn there for sake of time. You can read Ezekiel 20 and verse 20. There's a few different places, but look how it was kept in the old covenant. It's a serious day. It's a serious day. It wasn't wasn't like the other days. It was a day that they set apart by command of God for the worship of God with a holy reverence to God. We saw in Jeremiah that it was a day to worship and to bring worship and praise to God. Well, how about the New Covenant? That's the Old Covenant. How about the New Covenant? How do they keep the Sabbath? Well, first of all, I must point to you that Jesus had many times rebuked the Pharisees in the New Testament concerning the Sabbath day. I believe there's 11 accounts. I think it happened seven or eight times, but 11 accounts from the multiple recordings of each event. In all this, Jesus never aimed to abolish the Sabbath. He aimed to recover the biblical Sabbath. In the New Covenant, we saw in the New Testament time, we saw that the Pharisees had a good time, a fun time of adding laws to what God had said in legalism. It's not my aim to be legalistic about the Sabbath, but to be biblical. That was not the aim of the Pharisees. The Pharisees said unto him, Mark two, verse twenty four, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? He said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was in hungered? He and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and he did eat the showbread which was not lawful to eat, but for the priests gave also to them that were with him or with him. Listen to this. And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Be helpful to note that the Sabbath was made for the man. It's made for Adam. Adam was not made for the Sabbath. That's why we started in Genesis. We see that uh, God made everything and He made man and then He made the Sabbath. And Jesus here states that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. This is His day. This is the Lord's day. That's why we call it the Lord's day. The Sabbath is His holy day. It ought to be faithfully held by Christians. That still doesn't give us a day. It gives us a proof that it's ought to be held. But what about the day? We'll get to that. I want to read this first. The organic nature of the Bible brings us to no other conclusion than a continued Sabbath keeping. John Murray said it this way, The Bible is an organism. Its unity is organic. It is not a compilation of isolated and unrelated divine oracles. The Bible is something that grew over a period of some 15 centuries. It grew by a process of divine revelation and inspiration. We must understand that the whole Bible stands together. The fibers of... Organic connection run through the whole Bible, connecting one part with every part and one truth with every other truth. So let's seek to find unity then. We don't have two different books. We don't have two different stories to two 
totally different, you know, whatever. We have a united book with one organic story from Genesis to Revelation. Before we address the day, I do want to hit the very first, and this is often the most pointed to for those that say they've got their aha moment, Colossians. Colossians 2 and verse 16. This is the one that will often be pointed to to say we don't keep the Sabbath day. That was done away with. Listen to this. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come but the body is of Christ. On further examination though, it's not saying the Sabbath day but the Sabbath days. Those feasts, those celebrations, those things that were types and shadows in the Old Testament, of course they were fulfilled in Christ because He was the the image of those things, the, the fulfillment of those things. But this is not talking about a doing away with of the the Sabbath day. So it was not abolished here. We look at things like circumcision, Passover, the Levitical priesthood. We see in the New Covenant, we see baptism and the Lord's Supper and how things you know things were had different forms and different things were commanded to the people Christ the great high priest fulfilling these types and shadows all these positively mentioned but you won't find where the Sabbath was abolished only the changing of days Acts 2 1 when they met on the day of Pentecost it was the 50th day And therefore, guess what day of the week they met for Pentecost? The first day. They met the first day of the week with this great assembly where God poured out His Spirit on the church, sanctified this day, and blessed it for the gathering together of the saints to worship God. John 20 and verse number 19 through 31, Jesus meets with His people. He meets with His disciples. And I will read this because this is very important. Look at this. How's it changing? How, how are things changing? We've seen that it's organic. We see that there's a, a perpetual nature to the Sabbath. Listen, verse number 19 of John 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father sent me, so even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you attain, they are attained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not there with them. When Jesus came, the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, so not the next Monday, but eight days in the inclusive way that they counted, counting that day plus seven more, meaning the first day of the week, his disciples were within. And Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, said, Peace be unto you.
Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hands, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. We see here a meeting on the first day of the week of the disciples of Christ. The first day of the week of the disciples of Christ. You see how things are building. Do you see how things are from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament observation on the seventh day? Christ resurrects on the first day of the week. His disciples are met together and He meets with them on that day. And what is the Sabbath but this glorious day where God meets in a special way with His people to be worshipped by them, to bless them, and to help them, to encourage them and rebuke them of their sin. We see a meeting on the first day. That's not enough, is it? Acts 20 and verse number 7 states this very clearly. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread... Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Revelation 1.10 says, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Jesus just claimed that the Lord's day, that He's Lord of the Sabbath. This is His day. That's His day. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 1 Corinthians 16 speaks of when they were to gather at the beginning of the week to take up the offering and the tithes to send to other churches and to help with the ministry. They were met together on the first day. You don't believe it? Read 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. So how did it change? Did it change in essence? No. We still have a command. One day and seven to give holy unto the Lord. The heart stayed unchanged. The saints gathered together to worship God. The only change then being the day. In closing, let's consider then the big picture. What's all this about? What is it all about? What Jackson, why are you going on about this? What is this big deal? Hebrews 3, verse number 7. Listen with me. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith unto them, Today, if you'll hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, which is called to, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, speaking of the wilderness time. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all they that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, to whom he swear and he or whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to fall, come short of it. 
For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into the rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying, And David, today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus or Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There's a rest an eternal rest that we have not yet received, but is promised in the resurrected Christ. And this is pointing to that great rest when we rest from our secular labors and we come to worship God. What are we doing but looking forward to that great day when we shall be with Him in our glorified state and be before Him forever in a permanent rest from the wilderness that is this life. There is a rest coming. There is a rest for the child of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. To the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Oh, we have a great high priest. It is to him that one day, that is the culmination of the Sabbath to be at rest with Him. A final resting from all of our labors and an enjoyment of that eternal day. That eternal rest with God. We're going to be sleeping and laying around lazily. No. An eternal day of worship and praise and admiration and a bowing down to Him who has saved us and called us, kept us and sanctified us. Isaiah 50 8, 13, and 14, you'll see that the Sabbath is a duty, but it ought to be a delight. It ought to be a delight. This is not another binding thing that, um, way of just application here. It's not something that's binding that we should just dread all week. It's like, man, I, I just need another day to do what I want to do. No, this is a good day. This is a gift to us from God. I think of it this way that I like to spend time with my wife. And those times that we do get to get away and be together with one another, that's set apart that we could have some kind of communion and fellowship together. I'm not looking at my watch every 15 minutes saying, man, I hope this day ends so I can go home and do what I want to do. No, I delight to be with my wife. 
And the child of God ought to even more delight to be in the presence of God and to be among His people and to be devoted to His worship. You'll understand also in all of this that it's not the Sabbath hour. It's the Sabbath day. It's a whole day. It's a whole day devoted unto God. It's a whole day where we're given to rest from all those things that trouble our mind. All those things that we need, or all those things that we do in the week. We have that day to rest unto the Lord. To rest unto Him. I encourage you, if this is your first time hearing such a message, and hearing the Sabbath portrayed this way, prove it. Take just one thing. And try it. Maybe you say today, ah, for 30 minutes I'm not going to watch the TV, but I'm going to get my Bible. I'm going to have private time alone with God and I'm going to worship Him at home. Just try instituting something even small and, and see that the Lord wouldn't bless that. Because it's His day and He's commanded it. And He said that if you'll keep His Sabbath, He'll bless that. I have great fear. I heard Robert Godfrey say this, and I somewhat I, I agree with him. He said that he he feared that if the Lord tarried in the next two hundred years, that biblical historians would look back to our time, the late twentieth century, getting into the twenty first century, and they would write about the great time in America where there was such a departure from keeping the Sabbath day to remember it and to keep it holy that fostered a falling away. That bred ignorance. That bred this this indifference toward God. Where people just didn't care. There was a great time of falling away in the churches. Remember the Sabbath day. Let's keep it holy. Let's pray.